Maybe you're new to the Lord and I say the phrase armor of God and you're thinking, okay, so God has armor? Didn't know he needed armor, right? Or maybe you are a mature believer. You have a reasonable understanding, a mature understanding of the armor of God. You know what it is. You know how it applies to everyday life. Maybe you are you know what the armor of God is, but you're just kind of complacent about it. I don't, you know, I don't have time to think about spiritual warfare. I've got too much going on in my life. Uh, just, just don't have time to think about that. Maybe uh, some people look at the armor of God kind of like a children's story, you know, uh, Jonah and the whale. Although we saw over the previous five weeks that there's a lot more to it, to that story than just Jonah and the fish. Uh, you know, David and Goliath, maybe you place it kind of in that category where the armor of God is just another one of those stories that you, that you look at as a good story to tell your kids. I found this a while back. Uh, these are armor of God PJs, all right? Uh, you can actually buy pajamas for your kids, and the tag for these they say that these pajamas will keep your kids safe and sound all through the night, no matter how dark the room is. So is that what the armor of God is? By the way, don't buy these for your kids, all right? I mean, you know, I guess it's okay, but, you know, if you want to get made fun of, then buy these for your kids, okay? Uh, you can buy these for $40 plus shipping and handling. You can get the armor of God for 40 bucks plus shipping and handling. But is, is that it? Is that the armor of God? You know, some people are superstitious about it. You know, it's, um, you know, spiritual warfare. Uh, they look for a demon under every rock. They've got 65 books on the Antichrist. They won't go to the Philip 66 because there might be another six laying around somewhere, you know. Uh, some people are superstitious about spiritual warfare. And, and so that's kind of the extremes. On one extreme, you've got silky, cozy PJs. On the other extreme, you've got superstition and demon under every rock, that kind of thing. So what is a proper understanding of the armor of God? And that, that in this new series, new summer series that we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks... I want us to gain a proper understanding of the armor of God. I, I, we need to be reasonable. Most importantly, we need to be biblical about what the armor of God is, how we use it, how it applies to our life, what it really means. This new series is called Battle Gear. We're going to learn how to suit up so that we can live strong and life struggles, because life is full of struggles, full of challenges. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. But before we talk about the specific armor, there's a couple of things that we need to see. First of all, what we're going to accomplish in this series, the purpose, we're going to see that the purpose of the armor of God, the soldier's armor, we're going to look at the Roman soldier's armor, the purpose of a Roman soldier's armor, it teaches us as soldiers of the cross how we are to wear God's armor for victory. So what Paul does is he uses the Roman soldier's armor and uses each piece as an analogy for what God provides us for, with, with for spiritual warfare in our world, as we live in our world. But also, before we get into the specific pieces, we need to understand something very important. Christ followers, we as Christ followers, need to learn to see the world the way that God and His Word see the world. 
If we're going to understand the armor of God, if we're going to use it properly, then we need to be able to look at the world the way God sees the world and the way his word sees the world. To look at the world from a biblical point of view. Either we try to see the world through our own ability, through our own education, through our own background, through our own ability to reason or understand, or we choose to allow God to give us his point of view. And again, my goal in this series is that we gain his point of view, especially today as we, this serves as sort of an introduction to our series. We're going to learn the, the viewpoint of God in terms of spiritual warfare and how we use the armor of God. God's word is clear. We are smack dab in the middle of a spiritual cosmic war that's going on all around us. We can't see it. It's not something we can physically see, but the effects of the war we certainly can feel and see physically. It is real, it's all around us, and it impacts our daily lives. We need to be aware of it, and we need to know how God plans and His viewpoint, but also how His plan of attack, His plan to defend ourselves, and what He's done to accomplish victory for us. Paul's writing to believers. In, in Ephesus. Now understand, God is not calling them, he's not calling you to join this war because if you are a follower of Christ, you're already in this war. It's not a matter of, okay, am I or am I not going to be a part of it? You're a part of it, whether you're aware and intentional about it or not. And Paul's writing the Ephesians because they are attempting to live for Christ in a world that's difficult to live for Christ in. Ephesus was a great city, the second greatest city in the Roman Empire. You had Rome, and then you had Ephesus. Ephesus was the Roman capital in Asia. It was a great city. And again, Ephesians 6, if you look in Ephesians 6, it's all about Paul telling the Ephesians how to live for Jesus in the real world as they go about their daily lives in a secular world. You and I need to learn how to live for Christ in the world around us, in the real world. So this is very applicable. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 as an introduction to our series on the armor of God. Looking at verse 10. Finally, Paul says, Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. This is why you must take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. And then he goes on to talk about standing firm, stand therefore, and that's what we have, we've got to learn how to stand firm and live for the Lord in the midst of this world that is so chaotic and in so many ways contrary to biblical principles. And in order to do that, we've got to learn what it means to put on and how to put on the armor of God. But as an intro, we're going to talk today about the realities of spiritual war. Before we get into the pieces of armor, we're going to talk about the realities of spiritual warfare. Reality number one, the battle that we fight is spiritual, not physical. It's spiritual, not physical. Paul opens up in verse 10. He says, finally, what he's saying is, listen up, guys, pay attention. And then he says, in the King James, you see my brethren or my brothers. So he's saying, listen, 
If you're a believer, this applies to you. If you're not a believer, God's armor is not going to fit, okay? Believers, you have to be a follower of Christ to wear the armor of God. But then, again, every, everything in God's Word is intentional. Brothers, it's plural. We're all in this together. If you're a follower of Christ, we're all a part of the same army. We're fighting together in this battle that is spiritual. And it all goes back to the history. you got to understand the history of all, how all of this began. It begins when, when God creates angels, back whenever that happened. Okay? Satan was one of God's angels. He was the anointed angel. And at one point, Satan rebelled, Lucifer rebelled, and he took a third of God's angels with him in that rebellion. And that was the beginning point of this spiritual war. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you see the war rages throughout the Old Testament. Until the end of the Old Testament, when we reach the end, there's about a 400-year period where a, a move is not made on either side of this war. But then God makes a move opening up the New Testament when he sends his son Jesus to earth. And then we see Satan attempt to counter that move with the temptation of Jesus. But Jesus, of course, doesn't succumb to temptation. And then Satan attempts to make what he thinks is the final move through the crucifixion, but Satan seriously miscalculated the effects of that move because what he didn't realize is that that was God's, the beginning of God's final move, and through the resurrection of Christ, he would attain victory once and for all. And that is what he has done. For all of us who are followers of Christ, we have victory through the cross of Christ. So this leads to a very important principle that we all need to understand before we get into the specifics of spiritual warfare, of the armor of God. One thing we all need to understand is that you are not fighting for victory. You are fighting, we are fighting from victory. Victory has already been won. It has been secured through the death and resurrection of Christ. Now, just because we have victory does not mean the war is not still raging. We know the end result. We know victory has been attained, but there are still battles that we have to fight each and every day, and those battles are real, and they are tough, and we cannot face those battles on our own. These battles originate in the spiritual realm. This is not a war that we're trying to win. It's already been won, but it is very real, and it is a complex battle because of the nature of the battle. We live in light of the truth that Jesus has won the victory, but it goes on, and it is a cosmic conflict. Spiritual warfare is a cosmic conflict waged in the invisible spiritual realm, but simultaneously fleshed out in the visible physical realm. It is something you can't necessarily see, but we feel the results every day. We, feel it's in, we see the impact of spiritual warfare everywhere. But because it is a spiritual war, Physical solutions will not solve these spiritual issues. You cannot fight a spiritual war with physical things. In other words, this is not a political problem that has a political solution. It is not a social problem that has a social solution. And listen, at its core, it's not even a religious problem with a religious solution. This is a spiritual problem... It is a spiritual battle, and the only way to fight this spiritual battle is with 
spiritual resources. Because what's going to happen if we attempt to use our own abilities, our own strength, physical solutions, human reason to fight this spiritual battle, we're going to fail. It's kind of like this orange. All right, I've got two oranges here. One of them I've already removed the peel from. Uh, and some of you commented, I was thankful that when I got in here this morning, it was still here because you can smell orange. I was afraid somebody would eat my orange, but it's still here. Uh, and the reason you can smell it is because I've removed the peel and I've got a, a vase of water here. Now, if you take the orange without a peel and you place it in the water, it is going to sink to the bottom. Every time it's going to sink to the bottom. Now, I have another orange, has the peel on it, has not been removed. If you place this orange in the water, it floats. What's the difference? The peel is protected by the peel. Well, think of this peel as your armor. Think of the orange without the peel as us attempting to fight spiritual warfare in our own strength. Without God's armor, you're going to sink. You're going to fail. You're going to be destroyed. Even if you're a follower of Christ, you won't be destroyed eternally, but you will not be effective at accomplishing God's purpose for your life because Satan's going to have you discouraged and defeated. But if we put on the armor of God, we will be protected and we will have victory because we already have victory. Jesus has attained it. Now we're going to talk about the specifics of the armor and how each piece fits into this spiritual warfare. But for now, know this, spiritual problems cannot be solved with physical solutions. You have to have spiritual solutions for spiritual problems. In this war that we're in, it is a spiritual war. It is a cosmic war with physical implications. Look again at Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can handle, you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against world powers of this darkness, against spiritual forces in the heavens. Your battle is not against your neighbor, it's not against your co-worker, it's not against your spouse, it's not against your kids, it's not even against your own weaknesses in the flesh. The battle is against what Paul says are powers, rulers of darkness in the heavens or the heavenly places. And that word heavens, heavenly places, it simply means the spiritual realm. Physical issues manifest from spiritual problems. You see, everything that's physical is affected or comes from the spiritual. And so while we can't see it, we see the effects. And we've got to have spiritual solutions. And that's what God gives us with his armor. We have to learn to do battle in the spiritual realm. We're going to learn to do that over the next several weeks. The second reality that we see is that Satan uses deceptive strategies in this battle. Now, this is spiritual, not physical. That's reality number one. Reality number two is that Satan uses deceptive strategies in battle. Think about the sport of football, okay? Uh, in preparation for a game, uh, players and coaches watch hours of game film to study their opponent, right? Hours and hours and hours in preparation for 60 minutes of action on the field, and why do they do that? Well, they're looking for their opponent's weaknesses, points of attack, ways to defend. And here's what we need to understand. Satan and his demons have had thousands of years of game film to study on humanity. 
He knows our weaknesses individually, corporately. He knows where to attack. He knows where we're most vulnerable. But thankfully, we also have some game film to study. And not only that, we have a coach who knows our opponent and his weaknesses better than anyone. And he's shown us those weaknesses in the playbook. We have God's word to tell us how we are to defend ourselves and how he is attacking Satan and how he's already achieved the victory. It sounds scary, but the good news is, is that we don't have to do it on our own. The power of God, the armor of God. Paul gives us a clip of Satan's game plan, though, in verse 10. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. Tactics, that word simply means deceptive strategies. Satan uses deceptive strategies, which he carries out. It's a part of his overarching strategy that he carries out through many ways, but it's ultimately to deceive. All right, his ultimate goal is to deceive mankind. It's like in Genesis 3 when Satan took the form of a snake because it was the most deceptive, the most, most cunning of all the animals. Genesis 3.1, the serpent was the most cunning of all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Satan took this form because he and his demons operate best when they have a physical, president, pre, a physical presence to work through. Because we operate in the physical realm, which leads to another important truth. While spiritual warfare is being waged in the heavenly places, our enemy is very skilled at locating available vehicles in the physical realm through which to influence, manipulate, and to deceive. And sometimes he'll use the most unsuspecting vehicle, the most unsuspecting thing. We shouldn't be surprised by that because as 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 tells us, it's no wonder for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He, he is the deceiver, the ultimate deceiver, and he's very good at it. We're going to look quickly, though, at Satan's agenda this morning in preparation for putting on the armor of God. We're going to look at Satan's agenda. Satan uses deception in order to accomplish his agenda, uh, which is to ultimately deceive mankind to draw us away from the protection that God provides in his armor. He also seeks to make us ineffective. He knows he can't have our souls, but he knows that he can make us ineffective. And what we find is that Satan uses, in his agenda, he uses the same instruments that God uses to manifest his glory. He uses the individual. He uses the family. He uses the church, and he uses society in which to, to, to accomplish his agenda of drawing mankind away from the blessing and the presence of God. First, he uses the individual. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter warns us, Be serious, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, again, I don't want to make you superstitious. I don't want to make you paranoid. But I want to tell you this morning, Satan is after you. Okay? It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how successful you are or not, how much influence you do or don't have, it doesn't matter how important you think you are or how, you, how, how, how little of importance you think you have, Satan wants to deceive you and he wants to destroy you. I mean, that's his goal, is to deceive and destroy mankind. He wants to take as many people with him as he can. And if you belong to Christ, he knows he can't have you, but he knows he can make you ineffective. 
He knows he can keep you from accomplishing God's purpose for your life. And he is going to attack you individually. And he is relentless in his attack. Day in and day out, he's going to attack you. He also attacks the family. Why is the family so important? Well, one reason, if you look at uh, Genesis 3.15, we see the prophecy that the seed of mankind will bruise Satan in this spiritual war. But it's more than that. That's part of it. It's more than that. See, he's going to attack you individually, but he is going to focus on your family too, because here's why. If he can destroy your family, he knows he's got a greater chance of destroying more than just you individually, more than just one generation. If he can destroy your family, that greatly increases his chances of destroying future generations. And we've seen that in our society, right? A lot of the problems we have in our world today is because of the breakdown of the family. God's design for the family. And Satan is going to attack the family because he doesn't want to just destroy you. He wants to destroy your kids, your grandkids, their kids, and so on and so forth. Generation after generation after generation. So he is going to attack the family in hopes of destroying the family. The third realm Satan attacks is the church. He does this by manipulating our personal weaknesses, our, our desires. He looks at who we are. He, he exploits those personality weaknesses and preferences in order to promote division, dissension, denominationalism, legalism, all of those ways and many other ways to try to tear down the church. Because he knows something that many Christians don't realize, and that is the work of God is greatly hindered when there's disharmony in the church, when there's disunity in the church, and we see it everywhere. And that is why we have to guard the unity in this church. It is so very precious, and Satan is going to try to attack that unity any way that he can, because he knows if he can break down the church, we will not be able to fulfill the mission that God has given us. But he does it, and he does it so effectively. But we can fight it, and that is the way we fight it is that fellowship in the church is based on, it's grounded in our relationship to Christ and our focus on him. As long as we stay focused on the Lord, then our differences aren't going to matter as much. We're going to be united because we'll be united in Christ. Yes, we have a lot of differences, a lot of differences, different opinions, opinions on worship, music styles, teaching styles, but we can still have unity in the midst of all of that because we have one great unifying factor in common, and that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we are focused on him, if we are in him and growing in him, then the result is we will be unified and we will stay unified as a church family. Ephesians 4.3, Paul reminds us that we are to be diligently keeping the unity of the spirit with the peace that binds us. We have to preserve the unity in the body of Christ. The fourth realm that Satan attacks is society. In, in Daniel chapter 10, we see how Satan is involved in orchestrating, deceiving rulers in the world, worldly rulers, the Hitlers, the Mussolinis, evil dictators, all of those guys. Satan is so very good at deceiving, manipulating, taking advantage of those, using those individuals to torment, to uh, torture, to persecute societies as a whole. He uses Men and women, again, manifesting through physical presence. He is so very good at using those individuals 
to oppress groups of people, corruption, compromise, uh, you know, uh, limiting personal freedoms instead of enforcing and promoting biblical justice as defined in God's word. We see it every day and we've seen extreme examples of that throughout history. But Satan will attack society. His, his, his agenda is to affect those areas, the individual, the family, the church, society. And we see in that agenda, there is a specific strategy that he has in order to accomplish that agenda. He has a strategy to accomplish this agenda. He wants ultimately for you to focus in this strategy and accomplishing this agenda. He wants to get you to focus on what you don't have rather than resting in the blessings and the strength of God. He's trying to lure you away from the presence of God. He's trying to lure you out of where you are safe and protected. But God shows us how to counteract this scheme in Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every human thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is any praise, dwell on those things. Satan is trying to pull our focus away from the goodness of God. Instead of dwelling on those things, he wants us to dwell on what we don't have. His, his scheme is to trick you, to make you, you see or think you see something that isn't reality or to make you miss something that is reality, the goodness of God. He wants to draw you away from that. And God's word, his truth, is what defies and opposes Satan, not you or me. We can't do this in our own strength. And he knows if he can get us to attempt to fight his battle, this battle, this war in our own strength will sink. He knows he's got us. And so we have to understand his strategy. The first stage in Satan's strategy is to use your desires. Now, we all have desires, don't we? These are legitimate desires given to us by God through which we can find satisfaction and pleasure in life. The problem is not the desires. The problem is when we allow Satan to influence us and convince us to try to meet those desires in illegitimate ways. I mean, you think about it. Desire for food is not bad, is it? I mean, it, food is good. It's healthy. It helps you grow. Desire for food is not bad, but gluttony is. It's, it's meeting that desire in an illegitimate way. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to convince you that God's way is not what's best. That there's a better way. He takes this legitimate God-given desire and he twists it. And, and he convinces you that you can meet that desire. You can shortcut God or you can meet it in a way that, that will be quicker and more satisfying. But it's deceiving. He is the ultimate deceiver. And, and it's, it's that when, when we allow that desire to be influenced by Satan, it turns into temptation, which leads to sin. And that's the problem. Instead of waiting on God and having him meet our needs, we attempt to do it another way. And we end up going around or trying to shortcut God's plan for our lives. His initial, Satan's initial strategic point in our lives is, is to play on a legitimate God-given desire within us and to take that. He wants your desire to be master over you instead of you being master over your desire. 
That's his goal, to be controlled by our desires instead of us having control over them. The second stage in his strategy is deception. You know, it's kind of like, uh, the, how many fishermen do we have? Or fisherwomen do we have in here, right? When you go fishing, you don't just throw a naked hook in the water, do you? I mean, fish isn't going to go for that, most, more than likely. You put something on it to make it appealing to that fish. You know, Satan, he doesn't go fishing with just a hook. He covers it with something appealing. He deceives us. He makes it look enticing so that we'll want it. He uses uh, his version of what salesmen would call the foot in the door strategy. They know if they can get their foot in the door, they've got a chance. And that's what Satan does. He, just, he, he doesn't come at you all at once with something horrible because he knows you're probably not going to do that. But what he does is he attempts to get his foot in your life. A conversation that you shouldn't have. A movie maybe that you shouldn't watch. A type of music maybe that you shouldn't listen to, a book that you shouldn't read, a relationship that's been redefined in a way that God doesn't want it to be defined. See, that's how he gets his foot in the door. And once he's got his foot in the door, it makes it easier for him to take you to the next level. You begin to rationalize. You get comfortable with sin, which makes it easier to take the next step in sin. And ultimately, before you realize it, he's not just got his foot in the door. He's all the way in your life, and you're doing things you never thought you would. But that's his strategy. He wants to deceive you into thinking, hey, this little step, it's okay. It's just a little bitty sin. You'll be fine. But that leads to another sin and another sin and another sin. And before you realize it, you're in the midst of a lifestyle you never thought you would be. He plants this sinful idea in our mind. And then it leads, he deceives us. And if it's left unchecked, it grows into disobedience, which is the next stage in Satan's strategy. Disobedience. This is... This is the third stage. Desire leads to deception, and then deception, if left unchecked, if not guarded against, leads to disobedience. It leads to disobedience. James 1.15 lays it out for us pretty clearly. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it leads to death. Desire is not a sin, Okay? Sin is fulfilling that desire in illegitimate ways. We've already looked at that. You know, only when God's, we have to submit our feelings, our emotions, our desires to the Lord. And it's only when those desires are controlled by the Holy Spirit and filtered through the Spirit's presence in our lives, it's only then will those things be met in a way that's legitimate, God-ordained, God-planned. But when we move away from God's power over our lives, when we attempt to meet those desires our way, we are being disobedient to God. We have to have faith to trust God and to, know, to believe that he knows what he's talking about, that his way really is best. Because here's the thing, the opposite of faith is not disbelief, the opposite of faith is disobedience. It's doing things my way when God says do it another. If I really trusted God, I would obey him. That's how we show our faith is by obeying God. But Satan's going to convince you to be disobedient. And the final stage of his strategy is death. Satan's intent in spiritual warfare is to kill you, to cause you to miss out on the blessings of knowing God, to cause you to miss out on the presence of God, his will for your life. And if you don't know him, don't know Christ, his goal is to cause you to miss out on knowing him and experiencing heaven. 
a relationship with God. Look again at James 1.15, the last part. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, death is experienced in a couple of ways. For the non-Christian, death is being separated from God for all of eternity. But as followers of Christ, we can experience death too. Death of a dream. Death of a job. Death of a relationship. Death of any number of things. Because we're experiencing consequences of our sin. Again, Satan can't have your soul, but he can cause you to be miserable if you let him. He can deceive you if you allow him into doing things you never thought you would. And you can miss out on the blessings of living in the presence and fulfilling the plan that God has for you. Breaking fellowship with God is the greatest way that we as followers of Christ experience death. If we are out of fellowship with God, then we're out of the presence of God. And that's a miserable place to be, and that's where Satan wants you to be. Breaking fellowship with God makes us ineffective as believers who have been designed to experience God and to glorify Him in all that we do. Satan's goal is to make us ineffective. But, number three, third reality in spiritual warfare, the key to victory is standing firm in Jesus Christ. The key to victory is standing firm. Remember, we're not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. The victory's already been won. There's a story, an old story of a, a father and his son sold it. They're in a wagon, a horse-drawn wagon, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. And they realize that there's a brush fire headed their way, and there's no way they're going to be out, able to outrun it. And so what the father does is he lights a fire and burns an area that hasn't been burned. And as that fire moves on, he moves the wagon, he, his son, and the wagon into the burned area. And the reason is, is because fire will not burn what's already been burned. And in the middle of that burned area, fire raging all around them, an uncomfortable place to be, they're protected. They're safe because they're in the area that's already been burned. What Satan wants to do is to cause you, to convince you to move out of the area in the spiritual realm that's already been burned. And that area is Jesus Christ. The victory that he's already accomplished. He wants to convince you to move away from that area that that God has provided you. His influence, his authority over your life. To move away from Christ. That area that's already been covered. That protects you. So what do we need to do? Look again at verse 11, Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. Underline that word stand. Stand against the tactics of the devil. Verse 13, this is why you must take up the full armor so that you may be able to resist. Underline resist. You may be able to resist. Stand and resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Underline that again. Stand. Stand firm. The armor of God allows us to stand firm in life. And that word stand means to be alert and active. Not just standing still, you know, be alert. It's the picture of a Roman soldier taking a stance where he is alert. Because here's what a Roman soldier knew. He knew that in battle, if he ever got knocked off his feet, he was dead. It was over. And we'll talk about how he prevented that specifically, but we know that that part of that was taking a stance of being alert and ready, ready for anything, grounded, firm in his stance. And that's what Paul is telling us. If we want to fight these strategies of Satan, we can't do it in our own strength. We have to stand firm, but not just stand firm in anything. We stand firm 
in Christ and His strength. We stand firm in what He's provided. God has a plan for our lives and a place on His battlefield where He wants us to stand for His glory. Everybody in this room has a place on the battlefield that God wants you to take your stand in His strength. Don't retreat. We don't attack. We stand on the Word of God and on His strength and the victory that He's already accomplished. The key to victory is standing firm in the victory that Jesus has already accomplished through the empty tomb. His victory. But how? Verse 10, be strengthened by the Lord in His vast strength. You stand by appropriating God's strength in your life. Can't do it on your own. Your strength isn't good enough. You're going to sink every time. If you attempt to use your strength to fight this battle, you have to appropriate the the strength of God. No amount of determination, no amount of strength, no amount of of ability to self-start or take initiative or any of those things. None of that's going to help you when it comes to spiritual warfare. Your strength is not strong enough. Self-sufficiency, as a matter of fact, in a spiritual struggle is spiritual suicide. You know, we need self-sufficiency. We need the ability uh, to take initiative, to be responsible, to work hard. But in spiritual warfare, that will not get you where you need to be. You're going to sink. You won't make it. Human strength is not strong enough. This is a spiritual war. It takes spiritual resources. And if all you see is what you see, you'll never see all there is to be seen. You'll never see what's going on in the spiritual realm. You'll never be able to defend yourself because you'll never see it coming. It takes the strength of Christ in order to stand firm, to be strengthened. We have to look back all the way to understand this properly. Look all the way back to when Satan lured Adam out, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. Because when they committed that first sin, they handed over rule and authority of this world to Satan. They, they relinquished it. God had given them dominion over his creation. And when they sinned, they handed that authority over to Satan. And Satan has ruled for years and years and years until God made his final move and secured victory through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because what happened in that moment is that, and we see in Genesis 3.15 that this was predicted, a prophecy, curse on mankind, prophecy coupled with that. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God said that what he's saying, strike your head, he's talking about headship, authority, and that, that the seed of mankind, which is Jesus Christ, would strike that authority and that's what happens on the cross through the resurrection john 12 31 and 32 this is the judgment of this world now the rule of this world will be cast out as for me jesus said if i'm lifted up from the earth i will draw people to myself so authority to christ after the resurrection he accomplishes victory that authority that that satan had jesus now takes from him So when you and I accept Christ, when we become Christians, we move away from the authority of Satan and we place ourselves under the authority of Christ. Authority, though, does not mean just because he's lost his authority, Satan still has power, and that's very important to understand. 
He is still very powerful. But here's what authority is. Authority is the right, the ability to use that power however I want. So as long as we are under the authority of Christ, Satan has no authority over us. He can't use his power however he wants because God's controlling that. And he's going to protect us as long as we're under the authority. So here's what Satan wants. He can't have you, but what he can do is lure you out from underneath that protection. He can get you to come away through disobedience, deceiving you through sin, to move away from God's will for your life, to move out of the authority, out of submission to Christ. And once you do that, then you're in danger. You have no protection. You're no longer secure. We should be standing firm instead. You know, the reason a lot of folks are failing in spiritual war, Christians, they don't, the reason they don't experience more victory in spiritual warfare is that they're trying to live with a foot in both worlds. They go to church on Sunday in one kingdom and then they live their lives, they work, they go to school, they live socially in another kingdom. They move out away from the authority of Christ. And so they're, they're experiencing no victory in their lives. And that's why we've got to stand firm. We have to stand firm in Christ. Jesus Christ, our union with him is essential for victory. Look at Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. All the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. Not just some, not just a little bit, but all the fullness of God is in Christ. And Colossians 1.17 tells us he is before all things and by him all things hold together. Jesus Christ holds all things together. So if everything in your life is falling apart, it may be because you are not allowing him to hold everything together. Maybe you don't belong to him at all. Christ is who holds all things together. Even in the midst of chaos, our victory in spiritual warfare is intimately connected with our union with Christ, our relationship with him. Ephesians 2, 5 and 6 tells us that God made us alive with the Messiah. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you were saved by grace. Together with Christ Jesus, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavenlies. When Christ died, we died with him. When he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him. And for us to have victory in this life, we have to stand firm, appropriating the strength, stand firm in the strength of God with his authority over our minds, over our actions, over our decisions, over our families, over our relationships, our careers, over our entire lives. His authority. We have to stand firm in the ground that he's already burned in the protection provided by Jesus Christ. His victory. Putting on the armor of God is how we do that. And that's what we're going we're gonna to look at that over the, second, over the next several weeks. Putting on the armor of God, what that means, what's involved in that, how God provides us with protection in that. I want to show you a picture of a guy's name is, is Kermit Tyler. Kermit died in 2010. But Kermit was involved in one of the most life-changing events that, that this country has ever known. And he said that during that event, he spoke four words that haunted him. At 96 years old, he talked about how he spent countless nights reliving those words. And here are those four words. Don't worry about it. You see, Kermit was manning a station, a satellite station, on December the 7th, 1941. 
Now listen, he didn't have the authority to set off warning alarms, but he could have contacted his major who would have set off the warning alarms. A technician came to him to show him a huge blip on the radar, and Kermit said, don't worry about it. See, Kermit thought it was a a group, a squadron of B-17 bombers coming from San Francisco, but we now know it was 180 Japanese planes coming to bomb Pearl Harbor. Now listen, it's not on Kermit at all. History shows us a lot of mistakes that were made leading up to that attack. But in his own words, as the battle was coming straight at his face, Kermit Tyler said, don't worry about it. Every day as we walk, live for the Lord, the battle's coming straight at your face, my face, every single day. The battle rages. Now we've got victory, but the battle is real and it's tough and it's hard and it's every single day. So here's the lesson that we learn from Kermit Tyler. Take it seriously. Do what God says to prepare for battle and to make sure that you're protected in that battle. Take it seriously. Don't take the stance of, hey, don't worry about it. Somebody else will take care of that. No, spiritual warfare is real. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the armor of God. We're going to take a real, not a superstitious, not a kid's story approach. We're going to take a very real and biblical approach to the armor of God. And we're going to learn just exactly how it impacts our lives on a daily basis. And how God's plan is so perfect in using that to defend ourselves. And we're going to gain an understanding that relates and applies to our everyday lives. But let me tell you, it begins with total submission to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you know him as Lord and Savior, then the the armor of God is ready for you to put on and it will fit you perfectly. But if you don't know Christ, it'll never fit. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So this morning, two questions. Do you know Jesus? He's got your armor waiting and all the blessings of knowing him and being in a relationship with him. Number two, if you know him, how's that armor working out for you? Are you using it? Do you have any idea how to use it? Have you submitted Completely, are you living under the authority of Jesus Christ? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And you just ask the Lord to evaluate, to show you, to search your heart and show you where you are in this this war that we're in. As the battle rages, do you know Jesus? Are you submitted to Him? Are you living for Him under His authority? Are you allowing Satan to lure you away? Let's just go to the Lord in prayer and you allow God to speak to your heart. Father, we recognize that we cannot, that this is a battle that we cannot see, we can't touch, but we sure do feel the effects every single day. And we know that we are in a war, that this isn't a decision of whether or not to join the war. We are already in this war. It's already raging around us. But we also know that we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from the victory that you've already accomplished through your son, Jesus. Jesus, through your empty tomb, you have accomplished victory, achieved victory for all of us. But the war is still going on and the battle is still very real. And we know that in order to have victory on a day-to-day basis, we have to submit to you daily. First and foremost, we have to have a relationship with you through your son, Jesus Christ, God, that we have to accept the salvation that only you can offer so that we can move into that area that's already been taken care of, protection in a relationship with you, strength that only comes from you, strength for for day-to-day life and for victory day-to-day. And Lord, for those of us who know you, we have to ask, are we submitted to you? Are we living for you? 
or we are being deceived by the enemy. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to hearts in this room today, and I pray that we would take this opportunity as we begin this new series, this journey through the, the topic of spiritual warfare and how you've equipped us to deal with that, I pray that we would just allow you to speak to our hearts and, and show us any area of our lives that, that need to be cleaned up, that need to be, be gotten rid of or refocused or submitted to you so that we can be prepared for the battle that we're going to have to fight today and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts and, and show us the decisions we need to make. You may be leading some to join this church. You may be leading some to to trust you in salvation for the first time. You may be leading some to be baptized. They've already been saved. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would just speak to us and that we would be obedient. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?